really like that that last song. I was actually going to sing that song at the beginning, but Steve kind of stole my thunder. Thank you guys for leading us in worship. It's good to be back. We were in Alabama and Florida for a few days, and uh, probably around Thursday I started to be ready to be home. Not to say that we didn't have a, a lot of fun seeing family and enjoying the beach, but uh, it's good to be back here. And, yeah, it's been a pretty warm summer here, and I had forgotten that it's just a different type of heat in the south. I felt I, like I was about 10 feet away from the surface of the sun when I was in Florida. And I just learned, that I didn't know until this morning that apparently there was a technical issue last week, uh, which is unfortunate because the second half of that sermon was my best half of a sermon that I've ever done. I think, uh, I don't know, I feel like you guys could have taken that as a sign that maybe some people weren't paying attention in the first half, and so we needed to start the whole thing over from the beginning again. And, um, I thought it'd be funny this morning, in about the middle of my sermon, to then restart over with, hi, how you guys doing today? But, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's going to be back. We're in John chapter 6 this morning. We're looking at verses 35 to 40. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Would you pray with me? Almighty and everlasting God, we praise you for your goodness and majesty over the world that you've created. You are good and we rejoice in your grace and your great name. You are the great I am, the Alpha and the Omega, the Lord of Lords. And Lord, we pray for our school children who begin school this past week. We pray for this school year, for their growing in knowledge. We pray for their teachers and even more the daunting task that they have with everything going on in our nation and community. Lord, we also pray for all of our students who are homeschooled. And um, Lord, continue to pray for them, for their parents, for the task that they have, and for your blessings upon that work. Lord, we pray that this year be able, within the schools, to continue without any significant interruptions as this past year they endured. We continue to pray for our church and community with this virus. Lord, we praise you that we have continued to persevere. It is entirely by your hand of grace that we have been sustained. Lord, we also pray for our local school board. They do not have an easy job in this current climate. And we pray for them for wisdom and discernment in the decisions which they have to make. Lord, we continue to pray for our nation with all of the division all of the unrest, all of the anger. Lord, may we continue to shine as your light. May we be known by our fruit. May we be salt. Lord God, in spite of what the media and society and friends might tell us, 
May we be a church who never loses sight that you are the king. You are our hope. You are the one who reigns. Our meaning and purpose are found in you and through your gospel. Lord, we pray for our time in your word this morning. Lord, may we be drawn to a greater love and affection for you through the tremendous truths which your scriptures proclaim and teach. In Jesus' name, amen. By the way, I forgot to acknowledge the new carpet. I think it looks great. So excited to have this. And 50 years from now, when we're celebrating our 100th anniversary, uh, for, for all of our young people, you'll be able to ask a trick question of who preached in the sanctuary on the first Sunday. And the answer will be no one. So we're in John this morning, but we're actually continuing in our summer series that we've taken a little break from John, the Forensics of Faith. But this passage that we're in in John, which happens to be the next passage in John, uh, fits well into our series. And so uh, we're still in our Forensics of Faith series where we're looking at various doctrines and how they apply to our salvation. Uh, We're still going to be in that for another week or two before we resume in John, Lord willing, uh, in September. Um, And so we'll be looking at John 6. But we'll also be looking at several other biblical passages as we talk about another glorious doctrine that is found throughout the Bible and especially throughout the New Testament. And that is repeatedly proclaimed and taught in the Bible, the doctrine known as perseverance of the saints, also sometimes referred to as eternal security. Uh, Over the past few weeks, we've examined significant doctrines related to our salvation And there is a connection between them. The doctrines support each other. They help make sense of each other. When we talked about regeneration, we talked about the new spiritual life that God causes in the life of a believer through which we are born again. We've talked about justification. Again, as a reminder, that is right legal standing before God accomplished through faith and the work of Christ on the cross. We've talked about sanctification, the process of being made holy through the Spirit. We've talked about adoption, which is becoming a member of the family of God. And it is because all of those things are true that the doctrine of perseverance of the saints is necessary. Perseverance of the saints teaches that God will always complete his redemptive work in a person who truly has faith. I'll say that again. God will always complete his redemptive work in a person who truly has faith. Perseverance of the saints is a doctrine widely held within Protestantism throughout various schools of thought. It's an oftentimes not universal, but oftentimes held view within Arminian theology and Reformed, certainly within Reformed theology. A scripture that summarizes this doctrine very well was found in Philippians 1 6 where it says he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ and with that little bit of introduction we'll first open up this morning by looking at our passage in John and I'll stress again that we'll be looking at several passages this morning so we'll actually be fairly brief in our coverage of John but this passage I think helps set the foundation for everything else that we'll be talking about this morning. 
If you remember from a few weeks ago when we left off in John, Jesus had just explained to the disciples that he was the bread of life. And in that, the point was that Jesus is the true nourishment which satisfies the human soul. John 6, 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Some of the reasons why the statement, I am the bread of life, are significant is because Jesus is, among other things, pointing to his divinity. He's rooting his ministry in the Old Testament. He's using a natural metaphor of bread to point to his work as being that which satisfies and nourishes the needs of the human soul. It's all in the sermon that we did on July 12th, if, uh, and in that we go into to further detail. So we continue in John, and immediately after Jesus has said that he is the bread of life, he continues speaking to a crowd who has not necessarily been following Jesus for the right reasons. We've seen throughout John chapter 6 that this crowd is more interested in the things that Jesus does than who Jesus is. We've seen that they're drawn to his signs, but not to Jesus as a savior. We've seen that they're more interested in what Jesus can do to meet their physical needs than their spiritual needs. And in verse 36, Jesus continues speaking. In the context of John... The crowd to whom Jesus is speaking has been impressed by his signs. They've wanted greater revelation of who Jesus is, but they don't want Jesus himself. And so he gives them a rebuke in verse 36 where he says, But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. He's pointing to the faithlessness of many in the crowd. They've been in contact and communion with the Lord Jesus, but are not coming to him in faith. Verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Jesus says that he will never cast out a person who comes to him. And that's important to remember as we consider perseverance of the saints. Jesus is faithful to his people. The rest of this passage in John explains why Jesus will never cast out those who come to him. Verses 38 and 39, Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Jesus has come to do the will of God. Something we've seen throughout our study of John, and in verse 39, Jesus says that it is the will of God that Jesus should lose nothing of all that he has been given, but raise it up on the last day. So Jesus has so far said that he will never cast out those who come to him, and that that is the will of God. And that is why we can have ultimate trust that God perseveres his people. Why God's people will always persevere, because it is the will of God. Verse 40, Jesus says, 
For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Whoever looks to Jesus and believes in Jesus has the promise of eternal life. It is Jesus who will not cast them out. It is Jesus who will raise a person who has faith on the last day. The reason why perseverance of the saints is something in which we can have confidence is because it is a work of God. Faith in the gospel cannot be lost. God finishes what he starts. Perseverance of the saints is a Trinitarian doctrine. All three persons of the Trinity are working in and through the process of salvation. As we've already seen in this passage in John, God is at work because it is through his will that Jesus serves and that Jesus saves. I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. It is by the will of God, because of the love of God, that the Son of God was sent so that we could be forgiven. Romans 5.8 God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then again, John 3.16 God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And it is because of the power of God that we persevere. 1 Peter 1, verses 3 and five, three to 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We see the work of Jesus certainly in our salvation, the second person of the Trinity. God is the one who sins and perseveres. Jesus is the Savior who achieves forgiveness and making it available through his death on the cross. Obviously, there are myriads of passages we could point to, but just to remind us, as we consider justification, Galatians 2.16, a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 3.28, we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. We are saved through the work of Christ. Philippians 3, verses 8 and 9. I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. It is faith that matters. 
John 3.36, Jesus says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Because the eternal life is not about our goodness or merit. It is the merit of Christ. Eternal life. And he says eternal life because he means eternal life. Because we persevere in faith. Because it is the power of God. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Hebrews 12.2 calls Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. True repentance and regeneration and faith is the basis by which we are saved. And it is a work of God through which we persevere. And so the question should never be whether or not God will complete his work. Or whether or not Christ is sufficient. The question should always be where our faith is. What do we believe? Because real faith cannot be lost. When you truly know the gospel, when you truly know what Christ did on the cross, there's no going back from that. Grace is such a unique idea compared to what other religions of the world believe. Most religions put an onus on a person to live up to a set of moral standards, and salvation is contingent upon adherence to a set of rules. And so it shouldn't be shocking that we do that with grace, where we treat the justifying grace of Christ as if it's something that we can just lose or give away. We aren't that powerful. I've heard Mark Driscoll Say, you can't unearn something that you didn't earn in the first place. We are not the authors and perfectors of our faith. Christ is. And to deny the doctrine of perseverance of the saints is to revert back to a, a works-based righteousness where we make maintaining faith a work that we must do in order to be saved. And that is not what the Bible teaches we are not the ones who ensure our own promise of eternal life. We are not the ones who justify ourselves. Romans 8, 35 to 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Even we ourselves cannot do that if you are in Christ. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That passage in Romans 8 is explaining how nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And again, that includes ourselves. We can't do it either. If you are in Christ, 
If your faith is truly in Jesus, you are forgiven of your sins, and that salvation cannot be lost. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No sin is so great that you can lose your salvation. You cannot lose it. You cannot relinquish or renounce your salvation. True faith will persevere to the end. Always. There is no exception. It is theologically impossible. It's unbiblical. You might be tempted to disagree with that. Well, what about a person who used to go to church and now they say that they don't believe? Either they are a, in a prodigal season and they will turn from their wayward path or they were never saved to begin with. Just because someone has a history in the church and then walks away does not undermine perseverance because church is not our salvation. Jesus is. People do walk away from church, but we cannot walk away from the gospel. It is the blood of Christ shed on the cross and believing in the work through which we are saved. His blood that was shed for us. The Bible teaches that there are people in churches. The Bible teaches that there are people in churches who are not believers. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will ultimately come to faith in him and trust in him. Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. Again, people do walk away from church, but we cannot walk away from the gospel. Participating in church by itself does not make a person a Christian. The Bible never claims that it does. The Bible says that we must be born again. It does say that we are justified by faith. It does not say that everlasting life is something that we get through means of participating or worshiping at the church. It says that everlasting life is through Jesus and that he is the way and the truth and the life. I've talked before about the parable of the sower. Seed is sown and some falls among thorns. Some falls through the cracks. Isn't rooted in good soil. Doesn't survive. But then you have the seed that falls among the good soil. And it is that seed which is nourished by the soil and which is able to grow and to flourish and be fruitful. The person who is truly born again has eternal life which cannot be lost. 1 John 2.19 says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Salvation does not ebb and flow. When you place your faith in Jesus, you will never be more or less forgiven than you are at that moment. It's not that you're forgiven one day, but then you're less faithful and you lose it. Your salvation is in what Christ has done. It is the Savior that matters. It's not something that changes day by day. It's not, hopefully I die on a day where things are going pretty good for me spiritually or else I'm in some real trouble. No. God's people persevere. 
So we see the work of the Father and the Son together in salvation. But the Spirit is also very much at work in the process. Again, there's regeneration. We are born again. That is a spiritual work. Titus 3, verses 5 to 7. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We are saved not through our righteousness, but through renewal of the Spirit and are justified by the grace of Christ. And it is because the Christian life is spiritual that we again see another reason as to why we cannot lose salvation. Because a real believer has the Spirit, and the Spirit is working in you, and we cannot lose the Spirit. Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit, stamped with the Holy Spirit, and belonging to God. The Spirit is a guarantee of our inheritance. We are justified by Christ. We are regenerated and sanctified by the Spirit. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. It's a new life, which is not your own when you come to faith in Christ. We see how the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all at work in our salvation. And when we consider perseverance of the saints, along with the other doctrines we've considered, they don't make sense without the belief that a true Christian will persevere in faith. Because if we can lose faith, or if we can lose salvation, then we are not justified by faith. If we can lose salvation, then that makes no sense of how we can be sealed with the Holy Spirit and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. These ideas work together. If you could lose the grace of God, then it isn't really grace. Perseverance of the saints helps make sense, more sense of all of these other doctrines. But the main reason as to why we should believe in the doctrine of perseverance is because it's biblical. And like I've already said, the question is not whether God perseveres his people. He does. John 10, verses 28 and 29, Jesus says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And as we continue this glorious doctrine of God's work of perseverance that he does in his people, as we consider God's work of salvation, 
we should be drawn to even greater worship for our glorious God who has promised to complete his work, who will not let us be lost, who has promised eternal life. If it depended on us, we'd all be in some trouble. But it is God who is working, and because it is God who is at work, and because we have God's promise of salvation and eternal life through faith in his gospel, we can be assured of salvation. Again, the question isn't whether or not God perseveres as people. But we should sometimes ask where our faith is, where our hope is. Is it in Christ, or is it in yourself, or is it in something else? Is it in the Lord Jesus who went to the cross to bear your sins, and that you're justified by his righteousness and blood? Is that where your faith is? If it is, then you have the promise that God will bring his work to completion, to the glory of God. A person, for a person who does not believe in the doctrine of perseverance, they have to put their faith in hoping that God will be gracious. Not to sound like a broken record, but faith is counted as righteousness. We are given the promise of eternal life, justified in Christ, regenerated by the Spirit, adopted into God's family, sanctified by the Spirit. All of the things which the Bible teaches are not pointing to some sort of grand uncertainty. They're not meant to lead us into confusion. They're meant to point us to the love of God and the sufficiency of Christ. They're meant to point us to eternal security, assurance of our salvation, and the perseverance of the saints. We aren't called to go through life hoping that God might be gracious, hoping that we've done good enough. If you died today, where would you spend eternity? It's a common question in evangelism. If you believe that Jesus is the Lord who takes away your sins, then his work is enough. If you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there is no room for, I hope so. If you believe in Jesus, there's no room for, maybe. If you believe in Jesus, there's no room for, I don't know, or I'm not sure. If you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you have faith in him, then your answer to that question, your belief, your hope, should be rooted in the promises of Christ. Jesus is the Lord through whom we have eternal life. Because the danger in lacking confidence in that is thinking that your salvation is about you, that it's about your work. Last week, I talked about the balance of faith and works. And if I didn't get to it before it cut out, the point ultimately was that genuine faith results in a changed life. But that the works, the works we do will not and cannot save us. The only works that save us are the works of Christ. Perseverance is a doctrine that is not talked about as much as it should be. But as I've said, it's a glorious doctrine and a teaching of Scripture in which we should all rejoice and give glory to God. And as I close this morning, I have five thoughts on perseverance of the saints and why it matters. 
Some of these ideas I've already touched on so far this morning, but just to kind of tie it all together. First, it matters because it's what the Bible teaches. The Bible repeatedly tells us that true salvation cannot be lost. Jesus saves us entirely. Verses that talk about people falling away are referring to a person who never truly had faith in the first place. Somebody who was just at the church. But for the one who truly believes in Jesus, there is eternal salvation. Second, perseverance of the saints matters because it points us to the gospel. I said in the beginning that is a commonly held belief among Protestants, not universally, but it's a pretty commonly associated belief. It's not a doctrine that's part of Catholic theology. They don't believe in perseverance of the saints because of their understanding of the sacraments and I won't get into all of the, all of the theology. But we are called to believe what is true. And the Bible teaches that salvation is from the Lord and that we are justified and forgiven. When we come to faith, all of our sins are forgiven. And to reject perseverance is to undermine the sufficiency of Christ's work of salvation. To think that a person can fall away from saving faith means that we are not actually saved by Christ alone. The implication is that Christ forgives us, but our resolve and faithfulness to him is our actual hope. Third, it matters because it's an encouragement to the soul. When we sin, it's a reminder that God is faithful. It's a reminder that God is working. When we struggle in faith, it's a reminder that we are not saved By ourselves. We are not saved by the intensity of our faith, but by the goodness of our Savior. Fourth, it matters because it does call into question where our faith really is. Again, perseverance of the saints only applies to a person who has actually believed in the gospel. Where is your faith? Where is your hope? Fifth, perseverance of the saints matters because it shows us the important work that each person in the Trinity has in our salvation. The will of God, the grace of Christ, and the ongoing work of the Spirit. It matters because it again points us to the love and faithfulness of God. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. That is our promise our guarantee, and our hope to the glory of God. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we do praise you for your faithfulness. We are undeserving of that grace, but it is because of your goodness and love that you make it available. May we rejoice in that. And for all of us, may we believe and trust in your Son, who came to the world, who took the penalty of our sins. May we put our faith and hope in him and him alone. In Jesus' name, amen.